Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. All this has happened before. Hey kids, Townsend Coleman here, the voice of Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Tom Kane, this is the voice of Yoda on Star Wars. Hey yo, it's Wopat, and a big yee to you all. I used to be Luke Duke. Hi, my name is Oli Shoshan. I play Jedi Master Shakti. Hi, Butch Patrick here, Eddie Munster. Hi, this is Jim. Hi, this is Bill Farmer. You're listening to the Neverland Podcast. Welcome to Neverland, to Disney and beyond. And it will all happen again. And now your head lost boy, the Spider Pan. Walk on the eyes of East Pan. Jeremy. Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle that pixie dust around. Think of that happiest thought. And let's fly away to Neverland. And as expected, for those of you who are viewing the Patreon video of this episode, you can see when I talk about Philip acting out the pixie dust, he's doing it even now as we're on Skype. I'm not in the same room with him for once, but Lost Boy Philip is here. And lo and behold, I know we've missed him. We haven't gotten to talk to Eric in such a long time. But Lost Boy Eric is back. Yay! Yay! How do? How do? <laughs> All right, and later on the show, I will have a conversation with Dave Bossert. Dave Bossert has a great podcast called Skull Rock, or the Skull Rock Podcast. Well, of course, with Skull Rock, he's got to be on Neverland. He's also got an awesome book, 3D Disneyland, Disneyland like you've never seen it before. He's going to tell us all about it. Plus, I mean, I hit a gold mine with this guy. I didn't realize all the cool stuff he has actually done. That will be coming up later in the show. You're definitely going to want to check that out. But for now, we have us three... And we got a lot of catching up on a lot of different things to do before we dive into just all kinds of fun stuff. Starting, of course, with what have you guys, what, Eric, what have you been doing since last time we talked to you? Where have you been? Um, living. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing yard work. Uh, doing remote learning for my kids. <laughs> yeah, because we haven't talked to you since this whole pandemic thing happened. Uh, oh, no, we, we, I think we last chatted back in July. Uh, and I know I contributed a, a little bit about some of my experiences in Florida. Now, I have taken a couple extra trips to Florida in the meantime. Um, Indeed. Also took a trip to California, and I got to experience uh, the Disneyland Resort as it has been uh, with uh, with their closures. Uh, not quite as uh, recently as uh, they're opening up Buena Vista Street over in California Adventure, but yep. uh, you know, we've... Uh, 
uh, let's see, what else did we do? We also took a trip up to, uh, where did we go? We took another uh, road trip someplace, but I can't remember now. I think it was up to uh, Idaho. Yeah, yeah, we run up to Idaho for uh, a few days as well. So uh, we've been, uh, you know, as, as sequestered and as uh, uh, quarantined as we have been, we've still managed to find a few times to get out of the house, uh, explore a little bit of the world around us, and uh, you know, introduce our kids to a few uh, new places and uh, different uh, things to see. Awesome. And yes, everybody, Eric will be back in next week's episode because we're going to record this one where he's going to tell us even more stuff he's got to do at Walt Disney World. He got to do some cool stuff. We're going to have him tell us about it, but we won't have time this week, so it'll be for next week's show. So that means you got to come back to hear more of the adventures of Eric. <laughs> oh, Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, double O tuned. Oh, but that does remind me, speaking of stay tuned. Uh, and Philip and I saw this movie in the theater. Stay tuned. I actually found out it's on YouTube right now. You can watch it for free with ads. Oh, is that the John Ritter one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. We saw that on my 16th birthday. Yeah. And I remember we scared your dad, who was a pastor at the time. We were joking. We were laughing at some of the stuff like the fake show that was called I Love Lucifer. And all your dad heard was I Love Lucifer. And he's like, what? What? no 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 i remember eugene, eugene levy was hilarious in that movie yes mm-hmm. oh that's such a great movie it's, it's so um, underrated really i mean it seems like it just disappeared but that movie is it's just if you got a dark sense of humor it's perfect and well, it start well it featured the great john ritter yes, yes. And, and pam and dauber dauber yeah yes mm. yes and I love like there's one scene I really like where they they try to go to the kind of the uh, uh, Chuck Jones style of animation. Yes, it's really kind of great in there. You know, oh, they're, that, they're, that was Chuck Jones. Yes, it yeah, was. It, it was, and they they became like mice. Remember, mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. kind of kind of dairy type of thing, and they they did a really good job with that. Yeah, it's a great one. Also, some odd things going on this week. Uh, has anybody else besides... I think Eric also has been to McDonald's, so let me show this for the people who can see it on camera. I have now achieved two. I knew this was coming. I think we talked about it a long time ago. I just didn't know when it was coming, but thank you, Adam the Woo, for going to McDonald's and showing some of these little oh, toys. Yes. This is a little train for Runaway uh, Railway, and it's also the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World coming up, so... All the little train cars are different rides from Walt Disney World. I have I have a Goofy and Pluto. I love that Pluto is on the Jungle Cruise, and when he goes by, his uh, hippo shows up. The ah. cool thing with these is that you get a little uh, code that you can win a trip for four to Walt Disney World. So I have two entries now that I have two of these toys. So, But that's going on all this month at McDonald's, so guess who's going to be eating a lot more Happy Meals lately? <laughs> well, well, good doing- luck. Yeah, we know you need them, brother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I am technically on a diet. I'm supposed to be losing like 60 pounds to get myself down to one, I guess, 170. 170 is what they told me to do. So my insulin is working. I don't know if I'm slimming down any, but. Hey, brother, everybody needs a happy meal, a happy meal. <laughs> and I'm using that in the woo. He went, he went and got his happy meals. He got the chicken nuggets and you can drink water with it when it gets some apple slices. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's here's the funny part. When I went to the McDonald's this week to grab some lunch, and I was working. Uh, for those who don't know, I do. I'm currently doing school portraits. 
Uh, and I was working at a school uh, in Kansas, in Olathe, and I went to a McDonald's, and I got my two Happy Meals, and then I also, thank God, I got a chicken sandwich with it. Uh, I went over to, went back to the school to sit there, because it's retake day, so the kids kind of come in sporadically. So I go in and I eat to eat my chicken sandwich, and I go and want some chicken nuggets with it, and I have no chicken nuggets in my Happy Meals. They forgot the main portion ah. of the Happy Meals. So I had to go back later, and I had some snacks while I was driving my uh, camera equipment back to the main office in Grandview. Well, I'm glad you had a – still with that, you did have a much better experience than I did at McDonald's this week. Uh-oh. <laughs> now, uh, we, we did get one Happy Meal, which included Minnie Mouse and the uh, Explorer vehicle from uh, Dinosaur, which was nice. really cool. Uh, and she did get her Chicken McNuggets with that order. However, uh, one of our quarter pounders came back uh, more than slightly pink in the center. Ew. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're debating upon the need for more Happy Meal toys versus <laughs> whether the food associated with those toys will be, in fact, edible. <laughs> I mean, that's already a good question when it comes to McDonald's. But right. uh, still, uh, well, uh, seeing how we're, we're, we're sharing McDonald's stories, I did go by McDonald's today with, with uh, my nephews and all. And uh, they got food. I, on the other hand, did not, only because I've been very heartbroken that every time they go to McDonald's here recently, I've been asking if McRibs have come back. Mm. And uh, without McRibs, to be completely honest with you, I want nothing. I, I, I like oh, seeing Come Mickey. on. You want these toys. I know I you do. Them. I saw those, but I'll be honest with you, brother. You'll like this. Uh, I saw them, and the only thing I can think of is if I get them, it's going to be for Jeremy. Woo! And because <laughs> I love you, and I I, uh, I I I want McRibs, but I'm trying to lose weight, and I am losing weight, and uh, and I'm gonna do good. But there you go. Be honest, if I see the McRibs, I am gonna have one, and <laughs> just gonna have one. <laughs> but you know, they have the buy one get one kind of deals with McRibs. Well, I, I can save the other one for later, or I'll there give the go. other one to you because he says he's gonna try one. And I said, well, you gotta try one. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> So yeah, this has been kind of fun. Another update I want to give y'all on a personal note. So this is, I'm in a tricky spot here. Okay, so we got our email from LifeTouch where I've been doing the school portraits. That, of course, our photography season, I almost said photography, the season will end December 11th. It's my last day. Then I'm laid off. So once again, back into COVID, you know, unemployment. So I contacted my old employer up at uh, Alpha Media at the radio station I was doing Classic Rock. And he, he can get me back in to do my morning show work where I was doing the news and stuff like that. But it would only be three hours a day. Ten bucks an hour. So there is the possibility also this radio station up in St. Joe that still has a news position. I'm not sure if that's full time or not, but I've got to make a decision pretty fast on what I'm going to do in December. Now, the interesting thing about this, if I start working only three hours a day... I thought it would be a while before this become profitable, but hey, you listener can make this happen for me. I can put a lot more effort and time into YouTube videos. I've got a lot of content, a lot of gaming content. I can have a lot more fun and put it out there, but I have to make sure that uh, all the Patreon support's got to be there to kind of keep me afloat, and I can, I'll create as much fun stuff as I possibly can and get it out there on YouTube. Uh, plus, I'm looking at there's some other channels going out there, sort of like how everybody's flocking over to Parlor and MeWe. There is an alternative to YouTube that's not censoring people that they don't like. That's a whole other issue I'm not going to get into on this show, but <laughs> I am going to try to put some video up on there. So there's going to be a lot more fun stuff. So this is a great time to go and subscribe to that YouTube channel. 
I have a lot of fun videos already on there, and I'll have a lot more fun videos. And also, I will have, uh, I, I don't know if I've added them yet, but Eric has a YouTube channel now, and he's putting up some some Disney Park video. Yes, that's so. right. Um, it's the Magic Skyway. Uh, we've got both a, a YouTube channel as well as a page on Facebook now. Uh, oh, people nice. are welcome to uh, subscribe, click like, uh, do all the YouTube things. I think right now we don't have it set up on YouTube for comments. But, uh, again, we've got our Facebook page available as well if anyone wants to uh, reach out. Uh, you're more than welcome to. And we've uh, you know just posted the adventures we're taking, not necessarily Disney. Um, we took uh, one weekend and went to a local uh, antique shop and oh, got to see several different things there. And, uh, you know, I, I found every instance of John Wayne there that I could. So uh, <laughs> it's all good. Isn't it weird that the older we get, the more we like antique stores? <laughs> well, but there's a lot of good stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, indeed. But, uh, okay, so, of course, the big question that we like to ask every week is, what have you been watching on Disney Plus? Now, I know everybody watched this, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, right? I yes. watched part of it but i think uh, i fell asleep and it's not anything against the program is the fact is i had gone a couple days without sleep at all that happens to you a lot <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm messed up on my medication and stuff and that's also because i'd had a well uh, uh, an attack at the time yeah but it, i actually really enjoyed, this was not canon this is not canon clearly oh. well, I like <laughs> but it was funny i actually well, really enjoyed it Yes, what I saw, I liked. Yeah, it was cracking me up, and it was—I I, I wasn't surprised that we kind of have a lot of focus on the uh, on the sequel trilogy characters. Sure, uh, but they—you know—they didn't really indicate like his Chewbacca's family. They came on. They didn't really mm -hmm. indicate if that was supposed to have been like Itchy or anybody. They didn't say. <laughs> but how many people were going Itchy, Mama, <laughs> I kept thinking what we need right now is a—I uh, can't think of her name right now with the the gal that. The, the singer. Uh, that, oh. that, that, the Arthur? They, well, <laughs> or uh, Diane... Uh, uh, Diane... I, oh, golly, I'm blanking, blanking you, out there. You and me both. But I, I can't think of... I can't think of her name. But anyway, whenever uh, he put that thing on his head... Yeah. Bam, and it original. got creepy. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. Adult <laughs> situations. Yeah. Yeah, it, Happy Life Day. Thanks a lot, Art. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. So if you have not watched that, all of you listening, please do go go check it out. Even if you didn't like the sequel trilogy, it's still, it's Legos. It's fun. And it's got a good story behind it, too, about learning and teaching and right. the struggles and challenges associated with it. Yes, and less talky-talky, more fighty-fighty. <laughs> <laughs> But it also picks up on a thread that was in uh, The Rise of Skywalker that yes. really wasn't very pronounced. Yeah, but it makes me wonder if they couldn't uh, branch something off in this direction. Right. So I was glad to see that. I'm like, aha, but I wanted, I cannot think of the other character's name. But where is the that woman that Finn met? Because she is Force-sensitive as well. And I think uh, she needs to learn. So I don't know why that character didn't pop up. I can't think of her Lando's name. Lando's daughter? Or Lando's <laughs> daughter? Sure. Yeah, Lando's daughter. We'll go with that because that's possible. Uh, she she was in it. She was in it. She arrived with Lando. Did she? Yes. I didn't see her. Oh, I'm going to have to watch it again now. There you go. 
Well, I've got three kids, so I've got reasons to watch it three times. <laughs> there you go. And Heather I'm, hasn't watched it yet, so. I watch stuff with my nephews and things all the time, even if, if I'm like, I don't really, I'm going to anyway. Because with <laughs> youngsters around you, you do stuff all the time that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to. And, and with Star Wars stuff, I want to, so. Right. Well, so, I've also got it kind of hardwired into my schedule to be able to watch some of this. Uh, my workday begins at 6 a.m. My wife's begins at 5 a.m., so oh, wow. uh, she tends to wake me up as she gets up, so that gives me an hour to, uh, well, instead of getting ready for work, uh, <laughs> catch whatever's new on Disney+. Plus. Yes, that's how I've been watching Mandalorian episodes in that time where I'm eating breakfast before I have to run off to, to my photos. <laughs> Something else I want to recommend on Disney Plus that I was watching, uh, and this, uh, Eric, I think is the first person who may have told me about the existence of this. I'd never heard of it. It's it's through Disney. It's Don Bluth animated, working with Richard Rich. Philip will know Richard Rich. We, he made a uh, Bible series we used to show the kids. Yep. Uh, but they made this this nice little short, I guess it's based off of books, about 25 minutes long. Disney Plus has it. It's called The Small One. Now, yeah. it's, it, it's very predictable when you watch it. You kind of know what's coming, but it is super cute. And I loved it. Believe it or not, now, Jeremy, I don't, I don't remember if you saw it with us back in the day. I actually showed that at the church one time. Years they ago. have, and I don't remember. It might have been, or it might have been for a time where you weren't able to come. But either way, I showed it years ago. I rented it and showed that to the children uh, just because it was, at the time, so rare to find a show that had anything to do with Christ and things. At the time, it had to do yeah. with anything in the time frame. And so that's why I, and I love the, of course, I love the animation, you know, obviously. Yes. It's very Don Bluth style. style, That style, Don Bluth, the Rick Rick types of guys. Disney-esque, I call it Disney-esque. (laughs) Disney-esque style, you know, really great. And I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to really say a whole lot about it. But if you start watching it, you're going to know where it's going. (laughs) Sure, sure. Think of, uh, what is it, Nestor, the long-eared donkey? It's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah very much so. Very much oh, wait, so. that was Dominic. My mistake. Oh, uh, Dominic the donkey. Was that Dean Martin song, didn't he? Uh, I think it was a Dean Martin, wasn't it? Song that song? I don't recall. I just know <laughs> the song. Yep. <laughs> See, now I'm going to have to look that up at some point, too. But yes, so it's very... Uh, the difference is, is Nestor, the long-eared donkey, might make you cry. This one, I didn't I didn't come close to tears, other than it was a very special ending, and the happy ending is very nice. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, hey, I do but, recommend that one. Hmm? But hey, speaking of uh, Nestor, the long-eared donkey and all that, that goes that there is a Disney connection with that, as far as the song. You know who sings it? Uh, it's been a while since I've seen Nestor. Nestor is uh, the same guy who sings, uh, oh, uh, oh... Uh, from Robin Hood. Uh, oh, the, the Whistle Stop Junction? Um, who played no. Alan Adale? Uh, Robin Hood, uh, Robin Hood, Little John? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah um, the guy who was Alan Adale? Yeah, uh, I can't say his name right now. Uh, R- uh, Randy Reed, is it? Mm, uh, Randy Reed is a car dealer. <laughs> that doesn't quite sound right. Uh, uh, Roger, Roger. Roger. Roger, Roger. Mm. Roger, Roger. <laughs> Roger, Roger. I couldn't help it. Anyway, uh, same same dude. I just can't think of his name right now. <laughs> can't look it up because my phone is talking on. <laughs> of course, I'm sure yeah. someone out there is yelling it into their yeah. Uh, headphones yeah. exactly who it is yeah. that uh, we, we should be uh, talking about here. Right. <laughs> um, Roger Miller. 
Roger Miller. Yay. I knew that. I just forgot that I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Not Nottingham. (laughs) Right. Uh, But this week I saw uh, a trailer for The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse, and I actually found the first two episodes. Basically, this is like a continuation of those newer Mickey Mouse cartoons that were on, uh, I think, Disney XD, and I think probably even regular Disney Channel was showing them as well. So it's basically more of those. Uh, they're, they're funny. They're silly. I like it. It's, it's not quite the same as the vintage Mickey Mouse, because I'll always love that better, but it, they're still fun and silly, and I had, a, I had a good time watching the two of them that are up on Disney Plus right now, and I don't know how often they're going to be putting new episodes up, but uh, so far, I've enjoyed that better than the new Animaniacs. The new Animaniacs, I only watched one episode, but it was it it was funny, but it wasn't quite as funny as it used to be. I'm going to watch more Animaniacs, because I did enjoy the new Animaniacs, uh, but it, not as much as I liked these new Mickey Mouse cartoons. But I might be a little biased, because it's Mickey. Well, as far as the release schedule, I know that they are planning on releasing two episodes every Friday through at least the end of December. Nice. So one of the More things I really liked about the t- one of the two that came out, it highlighted the House of the Future from Disneyland. Yes, yes, that was awesome. Because I never got to see the House of the Future when I was a kid. So, but I'd heard <laughs> yeah. of it. Yes, yes, and uh, you know I believe it had uh, Corey Burton as the voice <laughs> yeah. of the House of the Future. Yes, it was so awesome. That was great. Who, who uh, tends to get upset when he realizes there's somebody else in Mickey's life. <laughs> right. And he suddenly became Hal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't do that, Mickey. <laughs> so it's definitely great. Definitely go and check those out, especially if you like those old Mickey, those newer Mickey Mouse cartoons that are silly, which which by the way come back next week cuz Eric got to ride the Runaway Railway, which has a lot of the newer style Mickey Mouse cartoons. Yep. So he'll yep, about it next week. What yep. I like about those newer those ones, I, there's some things I don't like about them, there's some things I do. They're kind of a combination of the uh, original black and white, yeah, com- with some of the old comic book, comic strip stuff. And mm-hmm. the only thing I don't like about them sometimes they go a little overboard, and uh, and you know they get a little, you know. But I kind of like it still. Like yeah. I like that that Goofy has a tail, like he originally did. <laughs> yeah, he was mo- mostly just known as a dumb dog, you know, uh, and yeah, all that dippy kind of dog, dippy dog, and all that stuff. Yeah. And the goof, the goof, and then original because it took them a while, mm-hmm. but I I do still like the original uh, classic Mickey, you know, for the right. myself. But still, that's all right. I like these. At, at least it has something separate. It's almost its own little thing, but I like it. It's yeah. mm-hmm. they're they're silly and fun. I'm having a good time. It's a good way to kind of introduce Mickey Mouse because a lot of kids, I think, they know Mickey Mouse from the parks and they know Mickey Mouse exists. But it's nice to give them a cartoon to enjoy Mickey Mouse. And have something oh, to yes. love them for other than being in the parks. One other thing about these uh, episodes, they are eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. Now, while some of the shorts have been that length, the majority of the shorts have only been three to four minutes max. So yeah. uh, we're getting a lot more content for, for what they're putting out. And the, the a other lot thing, more laughs. <laughs> the only other thing I was going to say is one thing I do like about them is through time, Mickey kind of morphed or however you want to use it. Maybe you could say evolved, but he evolved to where he was kind of the uh, and don't get me wrong, I love Mickey always, but he's uh, became a, almost a little overly sweet, yeah, a mm-hmm. little sanitized, yeah, a straight man, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Oh boy, y'all! And it was almost too much. And I like how these still have the sweet Mickey combined with ornery Mickey. Yeah, and, uh, that's how he originally was. He was mm-hmm. sweet, but he was ornery too. 
Yep. And I think people kind of forget that Mickey was kind of, I won't say a troublemaker. He wasn't a troublemaker, but he found himself in trouble like we all do. Yeah. Everybody finds himself in trouble. Yeah. It, not intentionally a lot of times. And I kind of like that he's like that. He's like an everyday guy. Yeah. Uh, and that's how he would have his adventures is because he would get into some kind of crazy trouble and having a great adventure getting back out of it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that I really like about Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. It's the way I've always said this. I say I probably said it on here many, many a times, but it's what I love about Captain Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. If you take all three of them together, same with Mickey, Donald, Goofy, you have the normal, number one, normal person. And you take all three of those characters and separate them. You probably put them all together. You get one normal guy. But <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the way originally Roddenberry said this about Kirk, McCoy, and Spock. You put them all together, you got one normal person. You separate them, and that's what he did. You take a normal guy, separate the three different people, characters. Yeah, a different attributes, and they yeah. are very similar. <laughs> there are, yeah. Oh yes, uh, but uh, some other things going on at Disney Plus that uh, uh, I don't know how big of a recommendation, but uh, I Marvel Six One Six, which I actually just saw the trailer for that this week, and then found, oh look, it's already there on Disney Plus, and I started watching the. Uh, they have an episode dedicated to the Japanese Spider Man. Uh, Spider-Man is how you have to say it, because it's the Japanese one. That's the way they say it. Uh, and I've only gotten through half of that one, I think, because uh, I was really tired when I started watching it, and I, I couldn't stay awake to read the subtitles, because a lot of it is in Japanese. But it is kind of neat to find out how that series happened, and all the production stuff on it. So I've really, I've enjoyed, actually, that episode, what I've seen of it. So I definitely recommend that one. But uh, Eric got to watch uh, the, the Dan Slot episode. I don't know what we would call it. Yeah, there's... Uh... It's it's actually based upon the Marvel style, which, uh, as you recall, was something that was established with uh, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby, where Stanley would you know come up with a general plot, uh, let Jack Kirby go and come up with, with the pencils and uh, drive the action, and then based upon what Kirby prepared, like you know maybe he threw in a silver guy on a surfboard, which Stanley didn't anticipate. Um, and then Stanley would come back through. He'd actually create the story to go along with the visuals and the dialogue, and uh, they'd put out the comic like that. Yeah. And that really was the house style for Marvel for quite some time. Whereas more recently, uh, especially with people like Brian Michael Bedness, uh, they are more plot story driven, or mo more plot driven, where yeah. you know everything is written out before it goes to the artist. And I know that on the artist side, you know they feel a little bit constrained with that type of a format. You know, um, they don't get the chance to go out and explore. Well, the episode, uh, it's about I think the sixth or seventh episode in the series, uh, focuses on Dan Slott uh, creating the first issue for Iron Man 2020 was released earlier this year um and it was kind of telling as to dan slot's um work habits and work style and some of the concerns that other people at marvel may have about how that work style well you know i know jeremy has very strong feelings on his writing of spider-man mm -hmm. uh, which i think <laughs> some of those habits were are carried over from that time period. So uh, it's interesting. Um, it's not what I expected to see out of a documentary that's kind of celebrating uh, the things that Marvel has done. Uh, so you may as well take a look. It might change your attitude about Dan Slott, or it may confirm your attitude about him. Mm. Uh, what I can say is uh, it does verify that one person does not make the world go around, but they're more than welcome to take the credit for it. 
I have seen that before on where I used to read Wizard Magazine, mm-hmm. where they would basically uh, kind of, I think, trying to push you to believe a certain way when you didn't necessarily agree with it. But like, like, uh, oh, the new Marvel uh, president, or what you want to call it, is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'd be like, oh, that really stinks because I don't agree with any of the new stories. <laughs> yeah. But when, I remember whenever the, the newer guy running it said, Oh, you'll never ever see Marvel DC getting together again, and and those were all terrible ideas. Like, really? Because I always kind of liked when they would have the characters. It was fun Mm -hmm. because obviously we all like the characters on all sides. Why not have both worlds meet up once in a while and not say you're stupid for liking both sides? It's okay to like it all, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Both worlds, in my opinion. Yeah, and I even got a a giant version of the second meeting of Superman and Spider-Man. It's like a giant version of the comic. I love it. Sure. Yeah, fun stuff. Yes. So definitely definitely worth checking out. Oh, and uh, Eric was actually sending me a message that... Uh, now, I'm kind of behind on my Amazing Spider-Mans. I think I've got last issue was 40... I don't know. Four, it's in the 40s. But I guess one of Dan Slott's things that, that, I, that I didn't like that he did was, was Brand New Day. And I guess it's looking like they're going to try to fix some of the the brand new day problems it's interesting uh if you read amazing spider-man number 53 you might want to pull out a copy of amazing spider-man uh i believe it was uh 545 which was the first issue of the brand new day that was actually j michael straczynski and um um joe quesada who did that but you might want to have that out and go page by page through both issues at the same time Ooh, see, now I got to get caught up. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, issue 53 is drawn by uh, Spider Man great Mark Bagley. So, uh, yes, I love Mark definitely Bagley. a good, yeah, always good to see his work. So, yes. uh, you know, it, it's also I written by uh, Nick, uh, Captain America Hydra Spencer, but uh, he's been doing a pretty good job with this yeah. uh, current run. And it's yeah, again interesting to see what's happening. There's this new uh, villain by the name of Kindred. Um, they, they yes. may, well, he's revealed Be careful, don't spoil who he it. is. He's revealed who he is, but I don't know. I'm holding off because, you know, I'm thinking that there might be another twist there as to, uh, who, who he really happens to be, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm still stuck in the mystery of Kindred back where I was reading. I have no idea where that guy, who that guy is. Speaking on a, a nerd's behalf here, which I'm talking about myself, by the way, uh, you were talking a while ago about the great artist of the time. And they've made action figures of Stanley finally and all that. And I'm really thrilled, by the way. But I, I know it's because he passed away, and I'm you know very sorry for that. I wish they'd make some action figures of Jack Kirby mm. and a couple of others. You know, uh, uh, I can't think of their names right now. Uh, the one who first drew Steve Spider-Man. Ditko. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would love to to get uh, action figures of some of those guys. And I'm just a collector and all that stuff. But the thing is, is I would love to have honor towards them as well. Because mm-hmm, yeah. drew them, and think of it to this day, everybody knows Spider Man, everybody knows Captain America, everybody. Knows, those are the guys who brought it to us in such a way. Uh, Stan Lee did not create Captain America, but Stan Lee, uh, you know. By the way, despite what some people think, Stan Lee di- does and did and does give credit to people. Yeah. He does and always did. Uh, he even wrote books on giving credit to where credit is due, and I always really respected that. 
So I appreciate that. I just would love for people to make figures or whatever of Jack Kirby and people like that. Okay, but I really need to keep moving here because uh, we got a big, we still have Dan Bossert coming up later. But okay, so Mandalorian, without spoiling it, last couple episodes, holy crap. Whoa. <laughs> I, uh, I just want to go get some blue macaroons. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, is there something against using the force for stealing? I mean, <laughs> really? He, he's oh, a I, baby, though. So yeah, I, I think there there is an underlying thing there because we have seen some uh, dark side tendencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always take it like this: a child of that age, and I realize he's around, you know, what fifty, 50. or whatever. <laughs> When you're uh, in there, that whatever race that is, uh, the Greenlings, we'll call them, uh, they, that baby, he's a baby. So he's before like they, a two year old, <laughs> the age of accountability, we'll call it, he doesn't <laughs> quite know what he's doing. He just, he was hungry. And yeah. So he took, but <laughs> he stole. <laughs> he stole, but in his, and he didn't give it back. In his mind, he was just eating. Yeah. You know, that's how I take it. There's been some eating habits that have been controversial this season, I must say. <laughs> but we have had a mention of Ahsoka, so we're teased that Ahsoka definitely is coming later. And we've gotten to meet, uh, and I always forget her name, but she was in Star Wars Rebels, and she's yeah, out Bo- looking for that Darksaber. What? Bo- Bo-Katan Kryze. Yes. And so we're getting to see those connections. Also, we finally got, I love that we have an explanation for the difference between all these uh, Mandalorians we've seen taking their helmets off and then the ones that will not take it off. And it has, happens to be, I right, spoil the warning, Din, old Mando himself, is part of Death Watch. Holy cow. Or at least an offspring of it. Yes. Ooh, it, so I'm waiting for ramifications. That's going to be awesome. It almost seems like a, uh, I, I won't say religion, but it almost seems like a, kind of a religious type, uh, like a lifestyle you know, uh, type thing for that. Style, the way uh, they treat it, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Interesting to me. Also, I will say this episode, this newest episode, or when this was uh, recorded, that was maybe my favorite episode so far. Maybe it's because it's brand new and I just watched it a while ago. But yeah. boy, boy, I was so excited watching that. It seemed like a movie, even though it was short. It was like 35 minutes or whatever. It was so great. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Well, I think that was definitely Carl Weathers as the director having oh. fun with the sandbox that he was given. Yes, oh, Carl Weathers is out. He's one of my favorite people, anyway. I mean, I got toy of him over here on my wall when he, as Apollo Creed. <laughs> yeah, and letting Cara do, and you know, because she's played by Gina. I'll forget her last Carano. name. She, Carano, her. but she's an MMA fighter. So letting yeah. her go to town and do some physical combat on some stormtroopers—that was so good. She's great, man, and I love yeah. when they're flying, flying in that little ship or whatever you want to call that. Um, it almost looked like a, a little toy they used to sell with the Star Wars toys way back when that Kenner actually came up with the design of it. It looked very similar to what they used to sell for the, uh, it, it, I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't mm-hmm. identical, but it looked very similar to a little ship they used to have back in the Kenner days. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've already made Canon the, uh, I know they've shown yeah. a couple of times, but uh, something very yep. similar to it. Yes, very, yes, yes. Yes. That's what I was thinking. When I, first, I was like, I know that's not it, but it's very similar to that yeah. design. And we speaking of canon, is we even have canon. Uh, oh, and I forgot what his name is. He's like Jeff Blue Jeans because there's an accidental <laughs> crewman who's in a shot, 
And yes. they, they put him up on fandom and named him and said, no, he is canon. He is actually somebody who was working on the ship. He was just hiding back there. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, apparently least... it's a very quick shot. But you can see a guy with blue jeans and a t-shirt, just his arm and his leg sticking out of back of the background. Well, at least it wasn't a shirtless blue uh, shirtless guy in pink shorts holding a boom mic. <laughs> <laughs> or a bottle of water. <laughs> so, yes, well, Mandalorian's I... just getting better and better. Well, I do want to float one theory out there. Uh oh. I, I know we don't have much time, but you know, we've introduced Bo Katan. We know that she wants the Darksaber. We know that Moff Gideon has it. We also know that Moff Gideon wants the child for its uh, M count now. Yes. There's yes. a hmm. what if. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not even speculating that it could happen, but what if Moff Gideon says, okay, I'll give you the Darksaber? If you give me the child. Oh, boy. Oh. That could get messy. And I almost see that it's going to become a musical. That every little piece. Every little piece. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, oh. it's a good thing you bring that up, Philip. Uh, actually, if you remember, uh, about a month and a half ago, we got a preview for the new Harry Potter game. Oh, I have seen it. Then, little yeah. tease. Little tease. Yeah. And did uh, Jeremy, did you see it? I saw the original tease. Well, did you hear who was narrate, narrating that tease? Oh, please uh-huh. tell me it's Jim Dale. It was. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is my excitement thing. If anyone can see the camera. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so for anybody, because Jim Dale was, of course, in Pete's Dragon, played the character, sang the song, Every Little Piece. But for those of us who listen to the audiobooks or the Harry Potter novels, Jim Dale did the American version, and he is fantastic. Oh, yes. He showed up in that last movie of Harry Potter. What is he somewhere in a crowd somewhere? He, he's in the, uh, the the whatever you call it that little bar, not bar, but that little restaurant. They put him in there because the fans asked for him, and he put he showed up in there. I when did they, not know that. Yeah, when they, I think it was when the kids were in there uh, dr- drinking the pumpkin, whatever it was the With anyway, Dumbledore's he, brother Albus, or, or, or <laughs> Albus's brother um, Alberforth. He, he's in. There. He's in that movie. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to somebody. I don't think we can even say who uh, we know somebody who's working on that game. And maybe when it comes to time, he'll be allowed to say something. But well, and, we'll and, keep and, it quiet. Yeah. And I can't make any guarantees on that because there there's a lot more restrictions. Yeah. Where we're so, so we're hopeful um, that they can, we can talk to that person, but mm-hmm. we can't make a promise. I love but that. It, it is awesome that they're getting to work on the game. And so, yay. So uh, one quick thing I want to throw in that I, I probably should have put outside of the Disney Plus, but uh, I uh, anybody watch Pixel Dan on YouTube? Mm-mm. I'm okay. afraid I don't. Okay, well, Pixel Dan, uh, he goes through and he does like toy reviews as a modern collector. Well, I had not, I can see he's always been kind of a big kind of guy, but I had not realized that he uh, is a pro wrestler. Oh. There, are, there are videos where he is interviewed with this other guy that he had he had met in wrestling school, uh, and he was under the name Spencer something. But he would wrestle. I mean, he's not WWE. He's done like indie shows. Uh, sure. But yeah, he's he's been a wrestler, and so that's probably how. Well, I don't know how much money you really earn in the indie circuit, but I thought it was kind of cool. He's a professional wrestler. That's why he's such a big kind of muscular looking guy. But look him up on YouTube, Pixel Dan. He's got all kinds of some of the best videos of like the. Uh, Master of the Universe figures and some of the other newer, you know, remakes. Is I even this week at Walmart saw the new GI Joe figures. 
that uh, are like recreations of the old ones. Oh, I kind of want some of those. I want some of those, man. I do. Yes. So that they got gung ho coming out. And uh, just this morning, I had a picture sent to me from one of the companies I order from a lot of times. They got a new Flint and Lady J that looks outstanding. Nice. Yeah. To Disney and beyond. Okay, Neverlanders, we have another another author, basically. <laughs> another special guest on with us today. Uh, I had only recently heard of, of his new book. And so I went ahead and I wanted to look up and say, well, 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 here's the guy that wrote this book that I've heard about it. And uh, even our own Lost Boy Jesse, I saw him even posting a picture of him looking at this book because this is quite the sight to behold, apparently. And this, I, I'm calling this number one Christmas gift idea right here. <laughs> it is a 3D Disneyland, a Disneyland like you've never seen it before. And we're here talking to the author here, Dave Bossert. Hello there. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks on. for coming on. And to give you a little, everybody a little bit of background, and I had it all pulled up, and then I got into a conversation with people on Facebook, and I realized I'm not looking at the screen anymore. Uh, but currently, you just started a podcast, and we'll let everybody know about it, and it is called Skull Rock, which, okay, uh, being being a Neverland show, I gotta love the title. Okay, Skull Rock, totally, <laughs> totally. But, uh... You are listed as the producer, creative director, and writer at Madison Beach Productions, former producer, creative director, and head of special projects at Walt Disney Animation Studios, and of course, you studied some fiction writing at the UCLA Extension Writers Program, but here's the big one, studied character animation at CalArts. Of course, absolutely, CalArts is the place. Yes, indeed. You know, I I have to tell you, when I went to CalArts, there really were not a lot of animation programs out there. Um, you know, you had School of Visual Arts in New York City, and I was from New York. Uh, you had CalArts out here. And, and the thing about CalArts was that uh, it was a lot of former uh, Disney artists that were teaching there. In fact, when I went to CalArts, uh, Jack Hanna, uh, who's a Disney legend, was the head of the animation program at CalArts. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of a lot of your listeners will know that name because he directed most of the Donald yeah. Duck shorts in the forties and fifties, and and all of I think all of the Chippendale shorts. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had people like Elmer Plummer. Uh, you know, he designed the uh, dancing mushrooms for Fantasia. We had. Um, uh, 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 Bob McCray, who was uh, a, an assistant and animator at the studio for decades. Uh, there, there were just a, an amazing amount of people. And we would get guest lectures from Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, Ward wow. Kimball, Mark Davis. All of those uh, luminaries were coming up to see us up at CalArts. So that, that, that's what was really attractive <laughs> yeah. about coming out. Right. You know, leaving New York and coming out to Los Angeles. But again, you know, I think Sheridan College in, in Toronto had an animation program back then. But there really weren't that many like there is today. It, it seems like almost every school is you know, has some kind of an animation program. <laughs> yeah. So it was every day you just walk into class, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, in, in all seriousness, I mean, we, we had really so, some great instructors yeah. up there. It was pretty amazing. Oh, my goodness. And every time I talk to somebody in the Cal Arts, it's like, you know, who did you go to class with? Because uh, I've talked to Mike Parazza, and he was in the same class as um, 
Tim, why am I forgetting his last name? Tim Burton. Burton. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you know, uh, I I went to CalArts, I think a year or two after Tim left, but, uh, you know, my class, you know, you got people like Rob Minkoff, who's co-director on uh, Lion King, uh, you know, people like Gary Trousdale mm. and Kirk Wise, who who directed, co-directed on... Much back uh, in Notre Dame, didn't it? Uh, yeah. And, and Beauty right. and the Beast and... Atlantis, the Lost Empire, and you know all of those kinds of things. So you know we had uh, a really terrific group of, of folks up there. Matt O'Callaghan, I think, was a year ahead of me. Tony Anselmo, who's the voice of Donald oh, wow. Duck, was a year ahead of me. Yeah. So uh, you know there was there was a lot. I think a lot of really great people that came out of that period uh, at Cal Arts. Yeah. So basically, it's the like the who's who of who's got a future in this. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I think, you know, at that time when you're going to school, you just have, you know, you, you, you just have aspirations of, you know, you hope you're going to be able to make a living in, in, in the uh, uh, animation yeah. field, you know, I mean, that, that's what we were all, you know, the, the program at Cal Arts only took 30 students a year into the wow. program and most and most never graduated. Most like second, third year, they'd get plucked out and offered jobs at studios and stuff wow. like that. And uh, so, and even today, they're still. I think they only take in about thirty students uh, for each incoming class uh, in the animation program, the character animation program. My goodness! So you got to be like one of the best of the best coming in. <laughs> You know, something I always used to joke and say, like, you know, when when you go to art school, it's like, you know, you were the kid in high school that got, you know, straight A's in all your art classes and everybody told you you were a great artist. And then all of a sudden you show up your first week at art school at college and you're now all of a sudden surrounded by everyone who had the right. same experience. They were all told they were great right. artists. So you're not, now you now you got thirty great artists in in, in one room together, <laughs> you know. And, and and I think what was interesting about Cal Arts is that you know over the years that I was there is that you start to gravitate towards disciplines within the animation field that you really like. You know, some people were gravitating towards you know. Uh, story and uh, others to animation or special effects or uh, painting or, you know, whatever it was, um, everybody st started to sort of get into a groove of what, what it was that they liked and were good at. So what was your major focus when you got in that you realized this is what I'm big on? What was your biggest thing? Well, you know, the interesting thing was that, you know, your first year, you're taking all your foundation classes, you know, so everybody's kind of doing the same thing. But uh, for me, by the time I got out, I was really interested in the special effects end of things. And that's really what I got hired. You know, my first gig at Disney uh, in early 1984 was working on the Black Cauldron, and I got hired in as a, a special effects in betweener. It was like the the bottom of the ladder, the the you know the entry level position to get into in, into the studio, and I was happy to do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, because that's the thing is Black Cauldron. It's it maybe looked down upon as maybe not one of the best, but the effects and the animation is amazing in that movie. The style is great. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's actually an underrated yeah. film. Uh, I, I just watched it recently because a couple weeks ago we had uh, Joe Hale, 
uh, who was the producer of the Black Cauldron uh, on the Skull Rock podcast. And, uh, you know, Joe is 95 years My old goodness. now. Uh, and and sharp as attack. And we were just talking about the early days at the studio. And then eventually we were talking about Black Cauldron because this year is the 35th anniversary of wow. the Black Cauldron. But I, I'd really encourage your listeners, if you got Disney Plus, you should Check just uh, watch that. Watch that one evening because it, it, I think it is an underrated film. I think it's a film that was uh, uh, that sort of fell through the cracks because the studio was in yeah. transition when that movie released. You know, you had this whole new management team coming in, and they didn't give a hoot about the movie. It wasn't uh, made on their watch, and so it, it was no advantage to them to support the movie. Yeah, and that's the movie that actually made me want to start reading the Lloyd Alexander books. So, but you got to remember to start with the book of three, though, and then you read the Black Cauldron. (laughs) Because that's one thing with that movie. It was almost too ambitious because they were trying to squeeze both the book of three and the Black Cauldron together, which had to be incredibly difficult to try to get as many elements in there as you can. And but the the style is amazing of it. Yeah, I, I think I think the you know the story wise, it, it, it's not the greatest story that they were able you know cramming uh, all of those stories together into the one movie. But uh, from a from a story standpoint, yeah, it's a bit on the weak side, but there is a continuity to it, and it does move yeah. along. And and I have to say, people should give it a give it a watch. Yeah, again. it's that great epic fantasy style, you know. Cause- Lloyd yeah. Alexander is just a great writer. The books are amazing, which I have been hearing. There was talk that Disney was trying to acquire the rights to go ahead. And because they're doing remakes right now, they wanted to try to make the entire series. And I, Well, I mean, that that could be their Game of Thrones. Yeah, it, well, it really could. Be, or their Lord of the Rings. Yeah, cause yeah or their Lord of the Rings. As long as they don't drop yeah. the ball like Narnia. Narnia was good, but it's not as good as what it could have been. So I think this is like their second chance. Like, hey, this is, you've got some really good source material. You just got to make a great movie out of that source material. Sort of like the other one, the very underrated John Carter. Uh, and I haven't read all the books. My wife read the books that that's based off. The, uh, was it the uh, Queen of Mars or something like that? It's, it's like a trilogy. But John Carter that nobody really saw. That was a great movie. Yeah, I think I, I think it was a movie that uh, ha- had some intrinsic issues with it, uh, uh, sort of behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It's a lot of fun. So there's a lot of those yeah. underrated movies like Black Cauldron that it's like you you definitely got to take the time and go watch these because it's still got something special for you. And mainly yeah. the effects animation in that one it was amazing, and it's it's actually a good movie. Black Cauldron, you watch that. Well, of course, we just left October, but that's an October movie because it's it's creepy yeah. and it's got one of the scariest Disney villains you'll ever see in your life. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. but you got to work then with Patty Parazza, then I guess. Uh, I worked with Patty. She was she was one of the animators, so she was already working there when I came into the studio. And uh, I didn't work with her very very much directly. I think I might have worked on a couple of her scenes, but um, yeah. Uh, and I think I think wasn't long after that that she left. I'm not sure. I think she may, might have been around for another picture after that. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Uh... When I, I got to meet them in Marceline a few years ago, I think she still does a little bit of like some contract work occasionally with Disney. I think uh-huh. like, I think Mike is doing that the same way. I can't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> so how did you end up being the creative director or head of special projects? And what is the special projects at Walt Disney Animation? 
Well, you know something. I, I you know, I, when I started, as I mentioned, I came in as in an entry level position and as a special effects in betweener, and I just moved my moved up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, you know, doing uh, uh, briefly assistant work and then becoming an animator, and then from animation uh, as an animator, I became a supervising animator in special effects, and then uh, eventually. Uh, I became an artistic coordinator and visual effects supervisor on Fantasia 2000. Oh, cool. and, and I worked on that picture for a number of years. Uh, and then after I finished that picture, um, there, you know, you, you kind of look around the landscape and there wasn't, there weren't a lot of pictures that I was interested in being a part of. And at the time, the head of Walt Disney Animation Studios started giving me these small projects, these oddball projects that were coming in from around the company. And eventually, it just coalesced into a special projects group, which I eventually headed. Uh, and uh, did projects like World of Color at Disneyland and uh, Paris Dreams. Uh, we did uh, a lot of big... Uh, um, uh, Outdoor projection nice. shows, uh, those kinds of projects. We worked on refurbishing of some of the attractions. We did the Dwarf Mine Coaster. Oh. We did shows for the cruise lines. Uh, you know, so we we really had uh, a full plate. Uh, I did that for, gosh, it, it, I think it was almost 15 wow. years. Um, and uh, did some like, something like 600 plus projects Ooh. in that time. Uh, for across the company. So, you know, everything from, you know, something really small to major year-long projects. Yeah. So so then let's go into this book, 3D Disneyland. Now, uh, where did this idea come from? Because it's brilliant. I don't know why somebody hasn't done this before. <laughs> Yeah, you know something. This was this was one of those things that uh, it, it really the seeds were planted back uh, when I was working on uh, Beauty and the Beast in the early 1990s, and uh, I was splitting an office with a colleague named Ted Kiersey. And, and Ted is a master special effects animator. Uh, he worked at the studio, uh, I think he had 43, 44 year career at the studio before he retired. Uh, but he and I were splitting an office together on Beauty and the Beast. And uh, I'm, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, I, I'm originally from New York. So uh, I had never been to Disneyland until about 1980, 81. That was the first time I went to Disneyland. I, in fact, I had been to, I visited Disney World in Orlando uh, a couple of times uh, prior to moving out to Los Angeles. And so, uh, you know, when you're splitting an office with another artist, you know, there's always a banter that goes on <laughs> as you're doing your work. And um, I don't know, one day we were talking about Disneyland. He was telling me the fact that, you know, he was at Disneyland opening week in 1955. Wow. And I was like, wow, what was that like? And I was asking him lots of questions. And uh, a day or two later, he brought in these 3D slides that he took all these photographs of Disneyland in the 50s because uh, he lived not far away. 
from Disneyland in Southern California. And so he would go there frequently and he would take his 3D camera and he took all these great photos. And I was looking at these 3D photographs of 3D slides, really. And in a special viewer, you drop the slide in, you press this big red button that illuminates the slide from behind. And you're looking at it like you're looking through a pair of binoculars. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I said to him, boy, you know, Ted, you know, this, this is something, this is the, you, you ought to put these in a book and share these with people. And, and that I said that to him, you know, this is now, uh, more than 25 years ago, uh, it's almost, almost 30 years wow. ago, I guess, you know? And so, uh, you know, the years go by, you're, you're off doing stuff, you're working on projects, he retires, I retire. Um, and I stayed, I stayed in touch with him and, uh, I would go out to visit him. He moved out of Los Angeles. He's still in Southern California, but he moved out of Los Angeles proper. And I would go out to visit him occasionally. And on one of those visits, he pulled out those slides. And at the time I had already, you know, I, I've had like four or five books published. And I said, oh, you know, let's, let's do this book. Let's do it as a book. And he said, okay, let's do it. And that's exactly how it came together. In fact, I wrote I wrote about 14 pages of text up front, which talks about 3D photography and talks about Ted's career and the fact that he took all these photos and whatnot. Uh, and then the rest of the book is it's almost 100. It's about 95 uh, 3D wow. photos. But, but what we did was we laid it out differently than some 3D books in the past. What we decided to do was... Uh, what's known as a windowing effect. So you put a picture on a page, but you need you leave a nice white border around the photo. And when I say a nice, you know, sort of a, an inch and a half, two inch border around the photo, and that acts as a wall or an anchor for the 3D photograph. So when you actually look at the 3D photo, it actually enhances the depth. So it feels like you're looking through a window uh, in a wall. And the, the white border is the wall and the photo is the window. So when you're looking at that photo, you get this really amazing 3D effect. And um, so, you know, we really put a lot of care into it. And then we decided that, you know, when I was laying out this book, I wanted it to be a, a walking tour of Disneyland. Yeah. So, so you start outside the berm. And then you're in the town square down Main Street to the hub. And then you go to the left and you go to Adventureland and then into New Orleans Square, the train station, Critter Country, Rivers of America, uh, Frontierland, the castle, Fantasyland. Um, I, there's a couple of more contemporary photos of um, uh, a couple of views in uh, Toontown uh, and then uh, Tomorrowland. And, you know, that that's your sort of walking tour and you're seeing pictures of um, things that aren't there yeah. anymore. Uh, the Skyway to Tomorrowland, the Skyway to Fantasyland. Um, you know, there there's some attractions that don't exist. You're also seeing which I was really excited about was you're seeing the park in its infancy mm. in some of the images. Um, 
you're, you, you know, the, 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 the trees are all mature now when you go down there and everything's grown in beautifully and it's well maintained. But this is like, you know, to see those pictures in 1955 where things were just planted, yeah. you know, and, so, and probably planted a, a week before the park opened, you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that, that, that's pretty cool to be able to see that. Um, you know, the Tomorrowland obviously is one of the more drastic changes. You know, the, there's some great photos of the TWA rocket and uh, the, the world clock and things like that. Um, but it, it really is, uh, I think, not only nostalgic, but it's just fun to look at. And then the other thing that we did was um, once, once the book was being laid out like that, I felt like the only thing missing was Walt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and so we decided to license two photographs of Walt Disney. One of him um, the, at the dedication of Fantasyland. And the other one is is, is more of a, so, a solo, um, a, uh, uh, it's, it's more of a solitude moment of Walt sitting by himself in the town square looking up Main Street towards the castle. And some of these images people may have seen before, but you've never seen them in 3D right. because we, we actually use some digital technology to create a 3D image of those two wow. photos. So so now you get to see Walt in 3D. Nice. And I think that's a lot yeah. of fun. And, and, and by the way, the, you know who knew there was going to be a pandemic <laughs> and who knew – that well, uh, that Disneyland was going to be closed for as long it's, as it's been closed, and it looks like it's going to be closed through the end yeah. of the year now. So, so you know, I've gotten some incredibly nice notes from people saying, you know, how much it meant to them to have this book. And you know, one woman said, you know, she put on her ears and sat there with the book and felt like she was able to jump through each one of those photos and and get her Disneyland fix. <laughs> You know that's that she so desperately missed because the park is closed yeah. right now for for safety reasons. You know, so um, but yeah, there's been there's been a really terrific uh, response from it. Ted, uh, most importantly to me, Ted was just thrilled by the way the whole project came out, um, and uh, he and I signed. 750 copies as part of a limited edition that was done for pre-orders. Those are gone. Yeah. Those are sold out. So, But if anybody's interested in getting the book, they can either go to the publisher's website, which is theoldmillpress.com, theoldmillpress.com, uh, and they can still get an author-signed copy there. Or you can go to Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. If you're in Los Angeles, I know Vraman's Bookstore in Pasadena is carrying the book. And I would just, you know, really tell people, try and get it from your local bookstore because they really need yeah. the help right now. And, and local bookstores, uh, they can order this. Uh, you know, the uh, if they don't have it in stock, they can absolutely order it for you and have it within a few days. Yeah, and it's definitely something. This is a great Christmas gift for any Disney fan. Because uh, even me, I, I've only been to Walt Disney World once in my life, and I've never gotten to go to Disneyland. So to see it in, in 3D, to have it kind of come to life, 
Even if it's, you know, 1955, it's still something I've never really seen this way before, which is actually the subtitle of your book. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know something that that was really, you know, when, when, when I'm looking at all of these photos early on, I'm like, well, the, it's a no brainer to call the book 3D Disneyland. <laughs> right. But, you know, for me, the tagline was it's like you've never seen it before because most of us haven't seen it like that. Most of us right now probably have never been to Disneyland in the 1950s, you know? Uh, It's just, you know, the park is now over 65 years old, you know? And, uh, you know, Ted's up there, you know? He's in his mid-70s. So, you know, the fact that he had the wherewithal to get a 3D camera, professional 3D camera, and to and and by the way, the interesting thing in the book is that there's a photo of his um, Kodak Aniston stereo camera. It's got two lenses. They're set apart like your eyes are set apart. And so when you take a photograph, it's taking a left and right mm-hmm. eye view uh, of whatever your subject matter is. And uh, he still has that camera, oh, wow. and he's still shooting pictures with it oh. today. <laughs> 65, 65 years later, he still has that camera. Wow. You know? Yeah, it's really, it's quite amazing. Now it makes me wonder if he's got any other, like, generational changes in Disneyland. Like, you know, after the, what, the 64 World's Fair, when you get, uh, you know, Small World in there, or when the Haunted Mansion opened later. I mean, does he more? Yeah. Well, you know something? Uh, he's got a ton of photos still to go through, and he's also got some 3D photos of Walt Disney World, I found out recently. Oh, wow. uh, he and I had a conversation a couple days ago on the phone, and and I had no idea after all these years and talking about this, he he was just sort of matter of fact about it. He's like, oh yeah, he goes, yeah. It was actually when we were working on Lion King, um, some of us from the Los Angeles studio went down to the Florida studio to help out. Um, and, you know, cause the Florida studio was, was kind of in its infancy, uh, the animation studio they had at, at Walt Disney world. And, uh, so some of us went down there to, to help out work down there for, you know, a period of time. I know I was down there, I think for five weeks, one summer while uh, Lion King was in production, but, but Ted went down there as well and he brought his 3d camera. So he snapped a bunch of pictures of Walt Disney world from, you know, 1992, 93 or something like that. So, um, I think, you know, who knows, uh, because this book is doing so well, uh, we may do something else in the future. Please we'll do. Cause this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to basically spread this around and tell everybody, Hey, this book, you want to find something for me for Christmas? I want this book. <laughs> well i appreciate that and and you know something you know what what's so great about this book is that it's a low-tech immersive experience it really is because because you just put on a pair of these uh uh paper glasses and the book comes with a pair of 3d glasses so they're in an envelope in the front of the book you just pull them out you put them on and you start looking through the book and it's something that you don't have to plug in. You don't have to charge your battery. All you need is good light. You need to have nice, bright light and the book. I mean, you could go sit out in your backyard uh, and look at this in sunlight with your glasses on. And it's absolutely a great experience. Yeah. And that, and that's, 
you know, kind of to me is what's indicative about the parks themselves. They're immersive experiences. Even if you're just walking around, forget about going on these fantastic attractions at the park, which themselves are immersive experiences. But just being in the park itself is an immersive experience. And you'll feel kind of like you're there. Especially if you're sitting out in the sun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you know, so let me put you this way. It, it, it certainly is having that effect on a lot of people because of the fact that Disneyland is currently closed because of the pandemic. And there's a lot of folks out there that have really sent me just the most wonderful notes uh, about, you know, them at least getting a kind of a fix for the park by looking at this book because you're not looking at a flat photograph you're looking at a dimensional photograph as if you were sitting in in, you know in a house looking out a window at the world going by in front of you you know yeah it's a great coffee table book too because you you can have people over and like you got to see this have you ever been to disneyland you're about to see it in 1955 (laughs) yeah and, and that, and that's also it, it's kind of interesting when you look at pictures from the fifties that are in the book. And, and by the way, the pictures in the book span from nineteen fifty five to nineteen eighty, which was the twenty fifth anniversary. Oh, wow. And then there's a couple of contemporary ones in there that are just sort of filling in some gaps. Uh, but uh, from from my perspective. You're looking at those pictures from the 1950s, and people dressed very differently <laughs> uh, uh, when when they were at the parks compared to how you see people going today. I mean, you know, today any just about anything goes. You know, when people go to the parks, but back then you're seeing you're seeing women in dresses and high mm-hmm. heels. You're seeing you're seeing men in, with jackets and ties on and hats and things like that. So it was it was a very different. Uh, uh, vibe yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, from from the standpoint of how people attended those kinds of you know those kinds of places uh, back in the fifties. It was sort of an outing. Yeah. It was get dressed up to go out. Yeah, and I figured even the tourists coming into town were like, "Oh no, we got to dress up. This is Disneyland." <laughs> it's a wholly different mentality at the time. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we should probably get this wrapped up here. So I'm going to remind everybody, theoldmillpress.com, and it's even on the front page, 3D Disneyland like you've never seen it before. Now, uh, do you have a website up for your podcast? Uh, Yeah, they can go to uh, uh, skullrockpodcast.com, and uh, we've got all of our shows up there. Um, They can also find it on whatever podcast platform you happen to be if you're spotify apple uh anchor you know all the different uh uh podcasting platforms the they'll be able to find skull rock podcast uh i will tell you that uh we've had um uh george scribner on this past week we had um Joe Hale, the producer of The Black Cauldron, on a few weeks ago. Mark Waters, Emmy-winning composers, worked on a lot of Disney projects. Um, next week, we have John Canemaker. We're, we're do- sort of doing our holiday gift uh, show. We're going to be talking about a lot of books. Uh, not my books, but um, books by a lot of other folks uh, that would make great gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Canemaker is going to join us for that. The week after Thanksgiving, we've got Bruce Broughton, film composer, wow. uh, 
who's going to join us. And he's, you know, he's done a lot of work with Disney, uh, Disney attractions and things like that over the years. So it's going to be exciting. We've got a lot of great guests coming on in the coming months. And, and then the other website is davidbossert.com, davidbossert, one word, dot com. And I've got a ton of free content up there for people to read. And if somebody buys a book uh, off of, you know, their favorite retailer and they want it signed, uh, there's a tab on my website that says free stuff. And if you click on that, there's a little pull down menu and there's book plates and they can send me a staff, a stamped self-addressed envelope and I'll sign a book plate to them, either just a signature or I'll personalize it to them. And the book plates are themed to the book. So if they get a 3D Disneyland book, they can get a 3D uh, Disneyland themed book plate that I will sign for. Awesome. Yeah, and you've even got to a few other books. I saw you had a book about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So I'm like, hey, yeah, Oswald the Lucky <laughs> Rabbit. Yeah, there, there. It's it's really the only book. It's the definitive book on uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and the search for the lost Disney cartoons. And uh, there's also a book I did on Dolly and Disney Destino. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, but there's a tab called Articles on the front page of my uh, website. Uh, and there's probably 50 plus articles on there of all different topics. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm constantly adding, uh, you know, uh, new articles to that. So, um, again, you know, for people who are interested in Disney, Disney animation, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of material there for their enjoyment. Yes, there is. Holy cow. (laughs) I'm just looking at this. And, and, you know, and with people, you know, today with the pandemic and the new restrictions coming down all over the country, uh, people are staying home more. If they're tired of uh, watching TV all day long, uh, they can plop down in front of their computer and read some fun articles about Disney animation. Yep, because <laughs> my goodness, you got a lot of them. So, yeah, between you and Jim Corcus, you could sit there and have all kinds of articles to read online. <laughs> you <laughs> come you out go. educated. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I always, you know, I always find that that kind of material is really yeah. fascinating to people who are really, you know, who are interested in it. And there, there's always those gee whiz moments. I didn't know they did yeah. that, and uh, I didn't know that, and things like that. So there, there, there's definitely some fun, fun stuff in there. Oh yeah, so you can definitely learn anything you could possibly want to know, and then you can be kind of like me. I, I used to get into trouble with knowing ridiculous Disney facts. I could just pop out something, and people would look at me like, "Why are you telling me this?" I'm like, "Because it's cool, isn't it?" So not everybody quite <laughs> un- quite gets it, but, you know, they'll catch up with us eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. And if you ever want to come back and talk about any, more, any of your work on any of the animated features you've, you've been a part of or any of the uh, projects in a park, you know, my goodness, you've done a lot of stuff. So if you ever want to come back on, well, just let me know. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you having me on. I, I'll definitely take you up on it because I'm I'm finishing off a book now on Claude Coates. Oh, nice. uh, that's going to come out next summer. Uh, so I'll definitely uh, want to come out and, and talk to your listeners about uh, the great Claude yeah. Coates and all the stuff that he did for Disneyland. Uh, so there's there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up uh, for me, and I'm always willing to share it. So I really appreciate it. I want to just wish you and all your listeners a fantastic holiday season. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and uh, just. 
be well and be safe out there. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, 